Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everybody. It's Monday again. Can you believe it? If you're in the United States listening, it's Thanksgiving this week. How can that be? Yesterday was New Year's Day. But anyway, it's been quite a year. Um, But I'm very excited because while you're getting ready for your turkey and all that kind of thing, um, we have Georgie Blaylock on. And she's actually a friend of mine. She's a fellow San Diego author. So we've written together and hung out. And so it's always fun for me to have somebody on that I know. Um, (laughs) And uh, Georgie has a brand new book out. And if you haven't read her yet, you're in for a big treat, but I'll read her bio here for you. Um, Georgie Blaylock is an amateur historian and a movie buff who loves combining her different passions through historical fiction and a healthy dose of period piece films. When not writing, she can be found prowling the nonfiction history section at the library or the British film listings on Netflix. Georgie also writes historical romance under the pen name Georgie Lee, and I did put a link to the Georgie Lee website and also to the Georgie Blaylock website right there on Blog Talk. So if you're listening live, you can click on those anytime and sign up for her newsletter and find her on Facebook. Um, she's also got a new Instagram account as well, so check her out and get hooked up. Um, always cool things being posted there. So Georgie, are you there? I am. Thank you so much for having me on. Yay, I'm so glad you could be here. I, For people who don't know, when writers are friends, we come around and we talk about books and we talk about burning things down, but we were all so <laughs> excited when Georgie got to write this book about Princess Margaret. You want to tell people about the other Windsor girl? I do. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is a story of um, Princess Margaret, who was sort of the Princess Diana of her time, and she's kind of largely forgotten now because of um, – you know, the the duchesses that have come up and, and all that kind of stuff. But she was sort of the first, like, paparazzi princess. She was the first one that the media was absolutely in love with, followed her everywhere, covered her. Because at the end of um, World War to, you know, Britain went into austerity and rationing, and it was kind of dreary and drab. And then she was 19 in 1949, and she was gorgeous, and she would wear all these beautiful Dior gowns, and she was living the high life uh, with all her aristocratic friends. And so she was great tabloid fodder because she was beautiful and young. And then, and then to follow that up, she decided to become rather scandalous. And so it was sort of that perfect storm of, you know, I'm going to be gorgeous, but I'm also going to kind of make a name for myself. And so the the book is about um, Sparrow Strathmore, who is this um, impoverished um, daughter of a nobleman, a minor nobleman, who, after kind of losing her way after World War II, sort of becomes famous by association by becoming um, the second lady-in-waiting to Princess Margaret. And so she's sort of thrust into this world of the glamour and the parties. But she also sees all the kind of ugly behind-the-scenes stuff about Margaret's life. Because the problem with Margaret is that she and her sister were never meant to be the heir and the spare. Their uncle was supposed to become king, and he was supposed to go off and get married and have kids. And when he abdicated, it just changed everything for both of them. So she went from being the famous the favorite second daughter to being this spare that every time Queen Elizabeth had a kid, she just got bumped farther and farther down the, the line of importance. And she just became forgotten, but she didn't want to be forgotten. And the only way that she could not be forgotten was to kind of act out because in that day and age, there was really nothing else she could do. She couldn't go get a job. She couldn't, you know, just shine in any other way. 
and so she became very outrageous in her speech and in her behavior, and she kind of went down in legendary as, as one of the most notorious royals of the 20th century. <laughs> well, I didn't know anything about her till I, of course, I started watching The Crown. And for anybody out there who is a fan of that show, it's it's a fabulous show. But Great I remember show. in season two when she was supposed to take her princess picture and they wanted her in all these fancy poofy gowns and a crown mm-hmm. and all that. And then she ended up giving them the naked picture in the bathroom. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and I was like, that can't be true. And I was on Wikipedia. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that was true. And not only is it true, but I used that in the book. Yeah, I used that in the book because that was so much fun about writing her. It's like she just provided so much material that it, you know, got to the point where it's like, gosh, you know, you want to include everything and you can't. So, you know, that was one of the things I did include in the book is, yeah, it was totally scandalous. But at the same time, it was interesting because she's – she was kind of understanding that cusp of change because it was right at the end of the 50s. You're getting ready to go into the swing in 60s, you know, especially Maud London. And, and she kind of picked up on that and really mm-hmm. went with it. But, it. but it clashed so hard with her image as the proper princess and these aren't the things you're supposed to do. And, and she did them. And she was the first to do them. So, Right. Well, and and also from watching The Crown, I had no idea that there were so many cycles of England not knowing what to do with their royals. You know, do we mm-hmm. want to get rid of them? What do we do? And then the royals trying to navigate, you know, how do we tell the people that we're human too and all that kind of thing. And I feel like Princess Margaret kind of got that before the rest of them did. I mean, she was very playful and and fun, and everyone wanted to be like her instead of, you know, a stodgy king and queen. Oh, yeah. Thing. She did, but it was just such almost the wrong time to get that because they were not out of the old ways. Like the whole Downton Abbey manners, upstairs, downstairs stuff still existed, but and, and she was still supposed to follow those rules. But, yeah, the world was changing. And I think The Crown does a really good job of showing that kind of contrast between how do you keep the aura of the monarchy and at the same time be relatable to this new generation. And right. I think that, you know, the, the powers that be, I think she had a good sense of that, but the powers that be didn't, and it caused a lot of problems, especially for her, in that, you know, maybe they followed her lead in a few things, not everything, but in a few things, you know, they might have got things a little bit more correct. But, but it's, yeah, it's just right. an interesting time period because it's just, it's change, it's, and it's just massive change that they kind of couldn't keep up with and didn't know how to deal with. Right. But I had a lot of fun and with her character. I bet, and I didn't even know that she had ladies in waiting, but they, they still had those. In 1950, they, they had a lady waiting. They still do. Wow. Um, I don't think the princesses, they still do. I, I, yeah, I don't know if, um, well, I think they probably, do. I know the queen still does. Because I read a couple of biographies or autobiographies of people that had served her. And I know she still does because, you know, when they go places, they hand them flowers and she has to have somebody to hand them to. Or um, I don't think they, oh, they, they still have the same kind of, like, super involved in their life role that they had earlier in the 20th century. But they, they do still exist. As for whether or not, you know, the new duchesses have them, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I, my yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't do just... that kind of research. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, now next book. Um, next book. But... Yeah, exactly. 
but I mean, when I watch um, other shows like the Tudors and stuff like that, the ladies in waiting like have, you know, purposes as far as, you know, oh, yeah. the queen got to decide who gets married to which lady oh, yeah. and all that. Was Princess Margaret doing that too? To a lesser degree, um, the in in the book, and this is based on a real event. I, I can't remember the name of what her original lady in waiting was, um, but when they got married, they stepped. She stepped down from that post. Um, if you're an older right. woman and your kids are kind of grown up and out of the house, you it doesn't matter that you're married. But if you're younger like that, you know, back in the the 40s and 50s, once you got married, that was it. You were done. And so that's how in the book Vera ends up stepping into her place because her real lady in waiting did step down. But it was interesting because, you know, back then they had what they called like social secretaries and these are the people that kept your calendar and dealt with invitations and organized your schedule and all that sort of stuff. And so Why don't we have one of those? <laughs> I need one of those. I, if anybody wants right. to, you know, step forward and, and do that, I, I would love that, uh, you know. Email her. What I really website. like is the <laughs> – what I'd really like is the cook and the house cleaners and, yes. <laughs> you know, the person that's <laughs> going to take care of all that stuff that I don't want to do. But uh, right. sadly, <laughs> sadly, I'm a mere mortal, so. <laughs> yes, yes. Sadly, we we can't pay for them. But if you wanted to do it for free. <laughs> hey, yeah, I know. I wouldn't stop anybody, let me tell you. But, yeah, so they had these social secretaries, and, and they really – were very intimately involved in their lives because they planned out their day. And sometimes in, in an effect, sometimes they had a little bit more control over the person because, you know, depending if it was a, um, an official, a very, very official engagement, you know, it didn't matter if Princess Margaret wanted to go do something else. If she had to go open a factory, she had to go open a factory, and that was a social secretary that kind of dealt with that. But they had so many people. I mean, she had, she had, a, she had a dresser, someone that dressed her, you know, things like that. Wow. And a lot of times, like even the queen doesn't pick out her own outfits. That was an interesting fact. Is she has dressers. Even now? The ones that decide. Yeah, even now. There's wow. people that um, decide, and they decide, like, what color she'll wear because if she's in a crowd, they want her to stand out because if you've been waiting hours to see her, and, you know, you don't want to be disappointed if she's wearing gray and it's a gray day and you can't see her. So, yeah, it's amazing just even now how wow. how much say these people have in their lives and it was even worse back then. wow yeah because (laughs) yeah because you i just have no idea that these traditions keep you know that they're still alive today oh i know that was that was interesting because with all my historical romances um you know especially like not just traditions but like people because i know with my historical romances whenever i'm dealing with people you know, I don't really have to worry about whether or not <laughs> they're still around. Right. And 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 so that was an interesting part of it is not just the traditions, but like the amount of people from that era who are still with us. And so that was that was neat. Just seeing. Were how... you able to? Um, were you able to connect with? Um, you know, anybody like biographers or anybody who um, has talked to the people who are still alive, or did you just do it through research? I just did it through research because in the end, she, even though she's Princess Margaret, in this book, she's my character. She's my fictional version of her, and I really wanted it to be my version of her, not anybody else's. Okay. And so I, would, I just read as much as I could to get a feel and a sense for it, 
but then in the end it was you know how it is you it all goes in and then right. it comes out and, and and that's how she came out for me so I wanted to stay true to her but at the same time like I said she's still my character and I also wanted that flexibility to kind of play around with her and 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 to just have fun I had a lot of fun with this book that was it was a lot of fun a lot of research but a lot of fun are there rules in historical fiction of like you know what things need to be real and what things you can make up like you must have made up events between her and Vera because she Mm -hmm. was fictional she was your character right I mean how are there are there like guidelines for how many fictional things you can make up or how many real things you need to put in or do you just go with your gut I went with my gut but at the same time I tried to stay as real as I could because I have heard not for readers on this book but like other readers of who read other historical fictions that they're willing to take a certain amount of artistic license but you have to be a little careful to not take huge amounts of artistic license. It right, has to feel real right. for that time. I think it, it, it really, like if you do take those leaps, it has to feel real for that time. And it has to feel real to um, that character and stuff. So, so there were a lot of things that even though there were interactions with her and Vera, it would, I would have it revolve around something that happened for real. But I do, in the, in the end of the book, in the, um, in the afterwards, I do talk about what is real and what isn't real and where I took some artistic license, especially with um, characters. And, and I try to point out where things deviated. Because, I mean, I do that. I go and I read historical fiction or I go watch a TV show, and I'm like, wow, did that really happen? And then you're on Google real quick, and you're like, oh, wow, it did. Or, oh, no, that yeah. totally didn't. <laughs> You know, so so I don't right, want to, I don't right. want somebody to get pulled out of the story because they're like, oh my gosh, that would never happen. But at the same time, you know as well as I do, like history, you know, people there's more was going on than we think. You know, nobody was just sitting around right. eating crumpets all the time. You know, <laughs> stuff right. was happening. Yeah, yeah. I was telling you, I was watching Versailles on Netflix right. and. And it was just so, I, I was like, there is no way. And then I look it up on Wikipedia, I'm like, wow, we've been crazy for a really long time. We have been. We, <laughs> like I was saying before, we've just hidden it a lot better, you know. We, yes. so that we've sort of forgotten just how nuts we all were. And sometimes not that long right. ago. <laughs> right. And so, so, yeah, so it was, it's just trying to stay real to the flavor of that era or what was going on. But, yeah, I took a lot of license because you know, it is fiction. Yeah. You know, that's the thing you have to remember is it is fiction, so. Right, right. But when I think historical fiction is really cool when you can weave in actual events like like yes. the picture in the bathtub, um, stuff like that, because um, as a reader, anyway, for me, like, I can remember reading Memoirs of a Geisha, and mm-hmm. they did not um, – I felt like, even though it said a novel on the front, it was mm-hmm. so historical, and I felt like at least some of these people, and then at the very end, they were like, nope, none of these people <laughs> really <laughs> let down, and it was funny that I saw a bunch of reviewers who said the same darn thing. They're like, mm-hmm. how could none of these people, they couldn't put in any historical, if, you know, I and know, so right? I think it's cool that you wrote that at the end of what's real and what was not. And <laughs> well, yeah, because you know everybody's rushing to Google. <laughs> <laughs> to find right, out, did exactly. that really happen? Was that really the way it was? And so, yeah, sometimes it's kind of nice to give a bit of a heads up. Because hey, I've done that yes. too. I read, I read uh, the book, um, The Exception, and it's all about Kaiser Wilhelm at the beginning of World War II, and he's and 
I, I remember reading and thinking, is this real? And and going and looking, and no, most of it wasn't. But the the writer did such a good job with writing what the history part of it and the research, and then making it very believable. And and I think that, but that's one of the great things about you know the historical fiction is is being able to kind of play what if, um, like here's history, right. here's what we all know. But, you know, what if, and and like you said before, you know, sometimes real history is just wacky enough to seem like fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's salacious enough that you could go, wow, this is a soap opera. And then I look this it up on Wikipedia, great. oh, wait, that really happened. Oh, that really happened. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and it's great. And that was what was so much fun with her is because there was so much good stuff and so much to draw on. Because one of the other questions a lot of people always ask me is, do you, know, do you feel constrained by the history? And Every once in a while, a little bit, like if there's something I want to do and you look it up, you're like, oh, that didn't happen until well after my book is done or, you know, whatever. And so every once in a while, but I always pull a lot of inspiration from what happened because there are such great stories and there's just so many wonderful little recollections by other people about the way things happened and the way things might have been that it gives you so much to play with. And then you just have fun with it. Yeah, I... I remember when you told me you were writing this book, I had been watching the first two seasons of The Crown, mm-hmm. and I had told you that it was so shocking to me how much Princess Margaret smoked. Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, on the I show, know, right? It's distracting, all the smoking. And you told me, oh, she was a chimney. And I was like, oh, really? yeah, she was a huge chimney. I, and yeah, because their dad died of cancer, right? Well, yeah, well, you, so you would think that she wouldn't have smoked like that but wow right. well one of the things she was known for and if it's all it's actually on the cover of my book is she has this cigarette holder and mm-hmm. and it I, I mentioned it in the book it's on the cover of the book there are pictures of her she was the first royal to be seen in public or the first, first royal woman to be seen in public smoking because women could light up but you weren't supposed to do it in public and she did. But I think mm-hmm. that was that whole part of her being a rebel and, you know, just doing things differently. She also drank heavily. <laughs> right. Hey, yeah. There's a lot of drinking, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's like when you watch old movies. I just love – I mean, I love old Hollywood, and I love watching movies, but it's amazing how often I'll go back and watch something I haven't seen in a really long time, like uh, 1939's <laughs> The Women, and you and it's like, wow, put the cigarette down just for like it two runs. minutes. <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, hey, would you like a cocktail? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, my God. How did anybody get anything done back then? Right? <laughs> yeah, you go in your doctor's office and they have cigarettes They're sitting smoking. there. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm trying to remember what else it was. I was, oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was something very historic. And there's this picture, and something very historic's going on. And you can tell the two men are posed, and there's cigarettes hanging out of their mouths. It's like really for that five seconds, you could have taken the cigarette out of you your mouth. Put that down, yeah. Just uh-huh. Put it down. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I love watching old movies for that reason. But yeah, she smoked and drank something fierce. Um, she liked famous grouse whiskey. That was her favorite. And she liked, and I remember thinking this was a, I don't know why this fact surprised me, but it sort of did. She liked this stuff called Malvern water and it was bottled water. And I remember when I first did the research, like, wow, I didn't realize bottled water went back that far. <laughs> like it's kind of a yeah. silly fact, but you're like, oh, okay. 
Because you, yeah, I don't know about you, but I always think of like, like an '80s thing. That's what I thought. Like Perrier, remember when that yeah. came out, and that was like the uh-huh, big thing. Yeah, I thought it was and too. Evian, and, I was, and I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, right. Bottled water, right? And now we're all like rushing out to buy it. But, uh-huh, but yeah, exactly. but there's these stories of her that she loved this Malvern water, and it was basically bottled water. And when she would travel and go to house parties. They would have to serve her 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 cocktail first, and she liked her famous grouse whiskey and her Malvern water. And there's stories of her where somebody just tries to give her, you know, tap water, and she's like, oh, no, 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 i got to have my Malvern water. And because of her rank, you couldn't serve anybody else till you served her first. And so they'd have to get oh her, her. Yeah, right? And so she, they'd have to get her footmen to go track down, like, a bottle of Malvern water. And he talked in his memoirs about how, if it ran out, he just put tap water in it, and then he had a way of, like, getting the seal to look like it hadn't been open, and they'd give it to her. And she'd oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we put that in I know, right? <laughs> that was some of the great stories. Like, that, I don't think that made it into my book, but that's one of the great stories where you're like, gosh, I wish I could use this somewhere in this story, but I can't. So... <laughs> Like I think right. I mentioned the Malvern water and the and the whiskey, but I the whole the footman just giving her tap water and she didn't know the difference. And that didn't make it in there. But there was great stories like that. She was full of that stuff. Yeah. Well, and I and I think about her when I'm when I'm watching the show. I think about uh, both her and Elizabeth really. That you know this wasn't the life either of them thought they were going to have. Right. But there doesn't seem like there's any way out. You know, you no. you don't get a choice. I mean, a rough life, you get to be super rich, but <laughs> yep, right. I mean, they, but they still, they don't get to go work in a coffee shop or be an actor or, you know, or do their anything. life just got decided for them. And that, that, in a way, it's kind of like they're a bird in a diamond cage, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. yes, they right. have all of yeah. these privileges, but they, but, they never got a choice in the life uh-uh. that they got handed, you know. No wonder well, she that drank was the whole so thing. Much. That was the whole thing with the abdication of her uncle David is if you read a lot of stuff about him, he didn't really want it. He wanted out. And there was a lot of speculation that the whole Wallace Simpson thing was just he saw that as his exit and he took it. And uh um, oh, marrying the divorced woman. Right. That when when it came down to the abdication that he'd never he never wanted to be king. He never and he that was kind of his way of you know, giving up on it. But the amount of damage that did to the monarchy, I mean the it wasn't like just okay, I'm not gonna be king and I'd just leave. It created so many problems and so many difficulties, but he took that way out. But it's interesting because Margaret and I, I talk about this in the book, she was given an out. When when it came to marrying Captain Townsend, they said, you can go marry him if you want, but you have to give up being a princess, and you have to give up all this stuff, and you can go just be Mrs. Townsend, knock yourself out. And, you know, in the end, she did not choose that. She chose to hang on to being a princess. And, and I mean, part of it was her family. I mean, she was very close to her sister, you know, despite the differences right. and the difficulties they had. Because like, like, one of the things we read about them growing up, they didn't have a lot of friends. It was sort of just the two of them. Just, I'm not sure why, but that was kind of how it was. I mean, it was to the point that at some point one of their governesses said, you know, we let's create a, a Girl Scout troop here in the, the Buckingham Palace just so they can meet some other girls their age. But the reality is they didn't have a lot of friends, so it was sort of just the two of them growing up. And so 
yeah, it would have been impossible for her to walk away from her family like that. But, you know, all of the trappings of royalty were something that I think gave her life meaning and gave her purpose when when she was living in a life that had no meaning and had no purpose. Um, because right. if, if, it had, if they'd have been boys, she probably would have gone into the military as the younger son and done something. But at that time, there was nothing for her to do, and nobody knew what to do with her. And so she just – and I think right. the Crown does a really good job of showing her. She's basically living at her mom's house with nothing to do. So she sits around all day smoking, drinking, and watching TV. Right. You know, and when you're – you know, and, you know, granted that sounds like fun for like a day, but, <laughs> you know, when you're in your early 20s and maybe you want to get out and experience some life and do some stuff, that's not fun. That's not good. Right. And so, so I think that was part of her thing about – taking such pride in the fact that she was royal and being able to kind of like throw her weight around, like the whole thing with the Malvern water and wanting her drink a specific way. It's like when that's all you've got, you're going right. to exploit that. And she did. But it was interesting that when she had the chance to walk away, she didn't. So would have been what, interesting if she what had. Was your, right. What Was that maybe your biggest surprise? Did you, when you were researching her, what was your biggest surprise about Margaret? Oh, I think just how genuinely unhappy she was, just how pointless her life was during, during you know, you're in your 20s. She was in her 20s. She was young. She had a lot of energy, and she just had right. nothing and nowhere to put it and nothing to do with it because she was so overlooked. I mean, even when her dad died and the country was talking about mourning and, and you know, they would read out the prayers in church and they would pray for Queen Elizabeth, and they'd pray for the Queen Mom because she was a widow. They never said anything about Margaret. She was just sort uh-huh. of this forgotten, pushed to the side person because by that point she was no longer the heir. She because uh, the Queen right. had Charles and, and Anne, so she was no longer the heir. So she, who was she? You know, she was just sort of nothing and forgotten. And I, and I think that was very surprising. It just how lonely and pointless a life it really was. And and how much that affected her and her character and, and how that shaped who it was that she became and why it is she did right. doubt. Because, you know, if you can't get attention any other way, <laughs> you'll get it right. you can get right. it. That's right. That's what they yeah, tell you about right. toddlers. You know, they yeah, exactly, right, right. Toddlers are no princesses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, bad attention is good attention, you know. And especially right. at the time when like, the press was really into her. Because if you don't have the press paying attention to you and you're not in the public eye, you're really nobody, you know. And so right. she manipulated that as well. But a lot of it was the bad press. Uh, but like you said, any attention is good attention. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we talked about it briefly at the beginning, but you also have written a bunch of historical romances mm-hmm. too. And how how different was it to write historical fiction than to write historical romance? You still have to do a bunch of research for both, right? Right. Well, with the historical romance, I mean, I've done 15 books for Harlequin, and all but two of them are set in the Regency. So that's which is you know the Jane Austen era. So you know, 17 mm-hmm. roughly 1790 to about 1820. And you know, when you've done that many you know that era really well. So you still have to do research, but usually it's like research about something specific. Like when I did the one about the fossil hunters, I had to go research about the fossils. But when it comes to the day-to-day stuff and the clothing and the carriages and all that, you know, I'm very familiar with that world. And so it's not quite as research-heavy, whereas 
um, with the other Windsor girl, obviously it's a whole new era, and it's it's just far enough in the past, but not that far. So every so often I'd have to look something up about you know what technology there was, and um, right, you know, and and the, and the thing with romance is the structure is different, you know. Um, and I, so I, it, it is and it isn't. It's kind of hard to explain. But the idea of a dark moment, the idea of a character facing their greatest fear, I still used all of that that I had learned in romance in The Other Windsor Girl. So with the main character, Vera Strathmore, you know, I gave her her greatest fear, and then I just had that every character that she encounters then plays on that, whereas in romance it would be the hero playing on that. You know, the hero sort of forcing right. the heroine to face her greatest fear or vice versa. And then, you know, having the dark moment when the greatest fear is realized. So I do that with Vera and I do that in the book, but instead of just having one character playing, I have all of them in situations and and Princess Margaret. And then I have Vera face her greatest fear and have her have her dark moment and then, you know, go on from there. So, and also what was interesting about the other Windsor girl is it's one POV. It's, it's the third um, limited, but it's, just Vera's POV, and I had never done that before. And so that was oh, when nice. I, yeah, when I first started out, I, part of me was like, wow, <laughs> how am I going to do this <laughs> for 90 pages, 90,000 words? Right. Because I'd never done it before. And, it. and it worked out. It was fine. But there was a moment at the beginning where, like, wow, I've never done this before. How interesting. <laughs> huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so excited for you, and I can't believe we're running out of time, but um, I'm so excited for you. I saw today the other Windsor Girl was still number one biographical fiction on Amazon, so biographical historical fiction. So, yeah, so, so cool. (laughs) So I hope everybody who's listening will go grab a copy. And how should people follow you? Do you have a newsletter? How, How do you want readers to find you? I think Instagram is probably, even though I'm new to it, I'm really liking it. So the at Georgie Blaylock okay. on Instagram is a, is a really good one. Or they can go to my website, uh, georgieblaylock.com. If they are interested in my um, historical romances, it's georgie-lee.com. And, uh, and those are probably the best ways to follow me. Because um, Instagram, I'm new to it, but I'm enjoying it. I'm really, I'm really having a lot Great. of fun with that. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so fun. We'll have to do it again next book. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Okay. See you later. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.